You're listening to the Hidden Battles Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by HiddenBattlesFoundation.org in partnership with Swim With The Mission. You can find them on Swim.org on the internet with your hosts, Scott Heider and Chris Hurst. Welcome to the Battlecast. Scott and Chris, uh, we have a special show tonight. We're not even going to play a whole song right now because uh, we have a lot to talk about with a very, very interesting character. I will call you a character because I know you and it's a good way to describe you. Uh, tonight we have um, retired uh, police detective Mario Oliveira in the studio with us. Mario has a very unique story. Um, Mario is going to tell his story, but I want you to understand there are going to be things that are going to be pretty emotional while he's talking. Um, so just prepare yourself for that. And um, just a quick one, Mario was uh, shot in the line of duty, he was a detective in some of Massachusetts. There is a book written about him called Gunrunner, um, Gunrunner sorry. Uh, Mario wrote it along with Keith. Um, and Mario's gonna talk about his story. Uh, he's an inspiration to everybody as far as somebody who came back from, you, you died three times. Um, and he came back uh, and he's here and he's preaching and he's telling people not to give up. And he's uh, teaching detectives, he's teaching police, and, and he's going on, and he goes around and tells everybody his story, and it's inspirational, and it tells everybody not to give up, and that, uh, I'm just going to let Mario, I'm going to let you tell. So, jump on in, brother. Good evening, Scott. Good evening, Chris. How are Thanks you? for having me on the show. Oh, like, we've been trying to get you on for a while. You're a busy guy, and then things happen, and colds, and sickness, and so I'm glad we finally got you in. Thanks. Glad to be here. So let's talk about, so you were shot seven times, point yes. blank. Yep. No vest. Um, and the way that it happened, I, I read a good portion of the book. The way it happened was you were looking for a guy who was involved uh, in a gang. He had purchased a, um, a handgun out of state. You were trying to locate him. You end up locating him on a holiday at his mom's house, correct? Uh, not, a, not entirely. Okay. Well, tell us that briefly, and let's get into what happened after your shot and your recovery and... I mean, it's, it's crazy. I love yeah, hearing I'll, it. I'll set up the scene, if you will. Sure. So, in 1968, the federal government passed a gun law called the, the Firearms Bill of 1968. And basically what it does is it requires FFLs, gun stores, to report multiple sales of firearms. So, in essence, if anybody buys more than two firearms in a span of five business days, that store is required by federal law to report those transactions to the local ATF office. And I got one of those reports on 2010 in October of a young man from Somerville who was 21 years old that bought 10 guns in a week. Wow. Yeah, I don't know how many 21-year-olds you guys know that buy 10 guns in one week. I'm from New Hampshire and I don't know any. Yeah, no. so I initiated an investigation at that point, um, brought this young man in, uh, along with my partner from the ATF, and uh, he subsequently confessed to all his crimes. I gave him an opportunity to work with the police to be a cooperating source. Um, he initially agreed to work with us, only to have a change of heart overnight, never showed up to work with us, which, okay. yep. which subsequently led me to get federal warrants for his arrest. So the night you located him uh, was by chance too, right? You weren't looking for him really, but you just kind of like, hey, let's take a fly by his mom, see if he's there, and you, you saw his car. Yeah, so it was election night in the city. It was November 2nd, 2010. Uh, my partner and I were working. We had no intentions on getting him. On a whim, my partner just said, let's go by his house to see if he's around. Lo and behold, he was home. Yeah. 
and we had to kind of do a fly-by-night type of last-minute operation to keep him contained on that street, arrest him without anybody getting hurt, himself included. Yeah, and what it transpired next was um, you went to apprehend him inside his vehicle, your partner yelled, Mario, and then you were shot subsequently. Yeah, so I was, um, I opened the car door, I grabbed him by his shirt, kind of pinned him back up against the headrest to contain him, giving him commands to get out of the car, he was under arrest. My badge is visibly shown at, the po- at that point. I have my gun to his head, and I'm giving him commands, orders to get out of the car. Yeah, absolutely. He was yelling at me at top of his lungs to shoot him, mm-hmm. to effing shoot him, yeah. and shoot him. And I didn't see a gun at that point, and I'm not, gonna, I'm not about to shoot an innocent kid. Not, not that he's innocent, but uh, an arm, unarmed kid. Yeah. And um, right at that moment, my sergeant was running up the sidewalk with his gun in the air, screaming my name. Mm-hmm. And when I looked over the roof of the car to see what he wanted... I looked back down, and all I saw was flashes. Yeah. He shot me a point-blank range. And now, I know that we've, we've talked about this, um, and it said after that, you found out that you were actually, you couldn't return fire because you had um, sustained a fire um, wound to your, what, your bicep? My right arm, okay. my forearm. Yeah. So you couldn't return fire, and I know that then you started losing a lot of blood. Um, you were subsequently transported to the hospital, um, where, let's, let's talk about your experience in the hospital, because you were telling me about this today, and it was, I, it was unbelievable, some of the stuff that you were telling me. So, um, on the way to the hospital, I was fighting with the paramedic and pleading with him to take me home, because I knew I was in bad shape, and I was afraid I was going to die, and I didn't want to leave my son alone here without a father on earth. Yep. He was only three years old, my only son. And I kept telling the paramedic, do your job, and I'm going to do mine. You keep me alive, and I'm going to fight to stay alive. Yeah. And the paramedic said to me, oh, you have two boys? And I said, what are you, a dummy? Yeah. I just told you I had one, not yeah. two. Yeah. So I make it to the hospital. Um, it's chaos there in the trauma bay area. It's chaos. Nurses and doctors are screaming and yelling. They're panicked, which in turn made me even more panicked. Mm-hmm. So I'm lying on this gurney naked staring up at the, at the ceiling with these bright lights, and I'm seeing these faces of these nurses and doctors working on me feverishly. And they're, whatever they're saying, they're, they're, they're panic-stricken by their voice, the tone of their voice. Yeah. And I'm just looking up and down each side of me at these people's faces, looking like, wow, they're petrified. How bad am I? I can only imagine how I looked. I, um, at that point, I remember just closing my eyes for a second because I was just tired, yeah. you know, from staying alive and staying awake. I never lost consciousness. Yeah. I closed my eyes for maybe a second or two, and when I opened them back up again, those people were all gone. Those doctors and nurses were all gone. Yeah. There was nobody working on me anymore. Wow. Although I heard them right around, the, you know, near my head, behind me. Yeah. They were still in the room in close proximity, but I, I didn't see them working on me. And all I could think of was, did these people just give up on me? What the hell? Yeah, exactly. Where'd they go? What are they doing? And right at that moment, I kind of looked. I saw out of my peripheral vision to my left side, I saw a person standing there. It looked like a nurse, a nurse's outfit. Yeah. And it was a woman, an older woman. I described her as short, stocky, like maybe Mm -hmm. 65-ish. Big, round, circular, brown glasses. And her hair was pulled back in a tight, tight bun. 
And this nurse came, was edging closer to me from my, my, my vantage point. And she finally came up right to my face, got like right above me. Yeah. And she, I can feel her lifting my head up with one of her hands slightly. And the other hand, she was massaging my forehead. And she kept saying to me in the softest, kindest voice, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And I, I looked at her and I said to her, please just put a blanket on me. I'm very cold. Yeah. Because those guys took all my clothes. I was completely naked and they had the air conditioner on them. And of the, course they did. Yeah. <laughs> in the ER, you know, with figures in November of all. Well, it, it keeps down the infection. Yeah. <laughs> the so, cold does. Oh. Um, she kept telling me, repeating that I was going to be okay. I, um... I felt instantly warm once I asked her to put a blanket on me, although I never saw her blanket, and I never saw her leave my side to go get one. I just felt instant warmth yeah. throughout my body. And then they ran me out of that room without any type of notification. They were running down the hall, like full, full sprint. Yeah. My doctor was dragging my bed, my gurney that I was on, screaming, hold the elevator, floor three, OR 26, floor three, OR 26. Flying down the hall, they took a right. My bed almost toppled over, but they caught it. Yeah. They put me in the elevator, and I could hear my doctor giving orders to his colleagues. You fire up the x-ray machine. The other one, he was pointing and said, you get me X amount of units of blood. Mm-hmm. You do this, you do that, and we get in there. And I can see them, and I can hear them all talking frantically. Yeah. So now I hear, I hear the dings of the elevator. Ding, the doors open and I can see myself being wheeled in to the operating room. So is, is it like an out-of-body experience right now, or is this from your laying down vantage point? This is my vantage point. Okay, all right. This yeah. is, I wasn't like up above or anything. Okay. I'm lying right. down yeah. just watching what I could see being yeah. you know, proned out. Yeah. You know? So um, I'm in the operating room now. I am looking up at the ceiling at these bright, bright lights. I know I was at, in the operating room because it was much quieter up there. It was much colder up there, and, the, and it was just, the lights were much, much brighter, three yeah. times brighter. That's crazy. So how many surgeries did you go through? Um, and, and explain, explain I find this amazing that you had uh, an Army doctor working on you, uh, which I, the Army sets a tone a lot from the medical practices that are done today. And I, and I honestly think that if you didn't have an Army doctor, what happened to you and what he did to your heart probably would not have been done by a normal doctor. Correct. Can you talk about that a little? Yeah, so um, I I have to tell a little bit, just fill in a little gap. Sure. So I saw, I ended up seeing that nurse from downstairs again Mm -hmm. up in the operating room where she comforted me until I blacked out. Mm -hmm. And I I didn't remember anything at that point. It was when I woke up a day and a half later in the ICU where I first met my doctor. And I was able to actually talk to him and him talk to me. And that's when I learned at that point that I had died three times on the table. Um, and one of the times, he cut my diaphragm, reached in with his own hand, and massaged my heart back to life. Yeah. And I was dumbfounded when he told my parents and my wife and I that. And he said that at that point, he told me that he was a colonel in the Army. He had been deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan dozens of times. Yeah. And it's, it's a maneuver that they're taught in the military out on the battlefield on how they save our soldiers yeah. when they get injured. Yeah, it's crazy. Military medicine and, and civilian medicine, two totally different things. Um, not to cut you off real quick, but let's just go through. Listen, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 1-800-273-TALK. It's 
8255. There's also text to talk, nine, uh, excuse me, 741741. Uh, the new number, 988, press one for veterans. And Chris, your uh, number one favorite number to, to call in case of crisis. 911 for uh, uh, emergency services. So we just uh, so want to thank our sponsors tonight. Want to thank Sean Dock Credit Union. We want to thank um, Custom Ironcraft. Want to thank Roads Remodeling Construction. Chris, you have a new sponsor tonight. We, we just want to get these knocked out so that we can try to not interrupt Mario. This is a, it's your story is amazing and it, it needs to be told and heard. Really is. And then the uh, new sponsor for tonight is Dabs Lock. It's uh, securing Greater Boston since 2005. Our excellent reputation and long list of satisfied clients attest to our superior craftsmanship, attention to clear communication, honesty, and integrity. Uh, Dabs has been securing Greater Boston since 2005. You can contact them at 781-350-5770 or find them online at dabslock. That's D-A-B-B-S lock.com. All right. Thanks, Chris. Uh, thanks, Dabs. So, Mario, so... You meet the doctor for the first time. You're you're now um, you're out of out of it. You're you're back in kind of control of what's going on. Your mind's pretty sharp now. Uh, so you talk to the doctor. You explain to. So I mean, uh, how crazy is that? The, the guy had his hand in you and he massaged your heart back to life. You know, and now you're you're here. But go back to the nurse. Tell us about the nurse. So, I'm having this conversation in in the ICU with my parents, my wife present, and this doctor that saved my life. And he's explaining the extent of my injuries. And I'm very grateful, obviously, as anybody would be, that this guy used his skills that he learned in the military to save me. And like you just said, to your point, I don't think there, were, there was any doctors working that night, if it weren't for him, that would have saved me the way that he saved me. I wouldn't be here today. Namari, what time did all of this start? Like the shooting um, went down at about 6.30 p.m. And I arrived shortly after 7 at the hospital. Okay. And you got shot how many times? Six times. Point blank range. I keep saying 7. I don't know why I said 7. Who's counting at this point? Yeah. Right? Yeah. One's enough. Um, now, you said, jump back. So there were only 60 gunshots fired that evening. 62 rounds yep. shot. Unbelievable. Yeah. So um, I, I was, I'm, I'm leading you on to the nurse to tell us about the nurse because you told me this today. It gave me goosebumps. Yeah. So... You know, I, I'm thanking the doctor. My parents are thanking the doctor for saving my life. Still in disbelief on how this maneuver that he pulled to cut my diaphragm and reach in and massage my heart with his own hand. I've never heard that before, you know. And um, First time I've heard it. Yeah. And yeah. I, I thanked him. I thanked him repeatedly. And then I said to him, I said, Doc, there was a nurse here that night that helped me. I want you to, can you go get her, find her, and bring her to me? because I want to thank her for comforting me. I was so panicked and scared. And this woman like really put me at ease and comforted me, like she was my mother, almost. You know? yeah. I felt that comfortable with her. And he looked at me and he said, where did you see her? I said, I saw her in the Trauma Bay area when I was first brought in from, from the street. And you guys ran me down the hall. You were pulling the bed. You were, and I repeated verbatim things that he said. You were barking orders, you were, we were in the elevator, you were telling the nurse to do this, and the doctors to do that, and this and that, and he, he looked at me, and he looked at my family, and he did like the timeout sign. And he said, hold on a minute, how do you know that? I said, I was on the bed, like feet away from you. Don't you, don't you remember? He said, no, you were dead. You were gone, four and a half minutes. No, no pulse, no heart rate, no nothing. Dead people can't form memories. How do you know all this stuff? Wow. Yeah. 
And I was like, no, I was awake. He said, no, my friend, you were dead. I was alive, and I'm a doctor, and I work on science. I can tell you, and there were other doctors there with me who can vouch for me. You were dead. You were clinically gone. There's no way that you should know any of this information. Yeah. And especially no way that you could repeat verbatim things that I said, phrases. And, and I said, no, sir, I, I'm, I'm just being honest with you. I was awake. I remember everything. And he said, and describe this woman to me one more time, please. And I described that older nurse, chunky, kind of chubby, older woman, 65 years old, big round glasses, hair pulled back, and a tight bun. At that point, my mom collapses crying on the floor. My yeah. dad picked her. I didn't know. I wasn't putting two and two together at the time. Yeah. My dad picked her up, put her on the chair, calmed her down, and she calmed down a little bit. Yeah. Well, I did a little uh, two or three weeks in the hospital after that. I got released from ICU up in my own private room in Ellison 7, mm-hmm. and the nurses there were phenomenal. I wanted to give them the shout-out. They're yeah. phenomenal. Um, when I got home from the hospital... And then there's a story behind that, too, which if we have time later, I can explain. Sure. I got home from the hospital. I found out my wife was pregnant. So there's a second child. And nine months later, my son was born on my birthday. That's so crazy. that paramedic was right. Yeah. I had two boys. I just didn't know it. Wow. That's and nuts. I named my son after my surgeon, my doctor, to honor him. That's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah, and then the very next day, my mom and dad came to my house with some kale soup because I was on a liquid diet, mm-hmm. as you can imagine, having a third of my intestines taken out. Yeah. I, um, I was home. My mom came to my house with my father with a pot of soup, and she was clutched onto a picture frame that was faced to her chest. Yeah. So all, I could, all I, could, I could see was the back part of the picture frame. And I said, Mom, what do you have? And she sat next to me, gave me a kiss on the forehead, and she said, I brought you something because I want you to keep this in your house on your wall. Promise me you'll keep it on your wall. I said, of course. What is it? She hands me the picture frame. I looked at it. I flipped it over, and I I lost control of my body. I peed. I peed myself, crying uncontrollably. And I said, Mom, this is my nurse. This is her. This is the woman. It was my grandmother. And what I learned at that very moment was my brother John, who's also a police officer, same department, was a detective, he called my mother up the night that I got shot. Everybody heard that I died in the back of the ambulance on the way to the hospital. He called my mother up to tell her, get dressed, take a shower, get ready. We're sending cruisers up to the house to pick you up. And she said, no, no, don't tell me he's dead. Don't tell me. She fell to her knees, dropped the cordless phone, grabbed her rosaries, wrapped them around her knuckles, and she started praying to her mother to save me. And that's who was at my side at that moment, Your angel, at Mass yeah. General. My guardian angel. All right, yeah, I'm getting goosebumps just yeah, listening to this, I, I, and then me and Scott are like, cry, yeah. Me and Scott are looking yeah. at each other like with our jaw on the ground. We have other people oh. that are like outside the studio that are like standing here, like I, I, same I, thing. Yeah, same. I, it's like when you told me that today, I was like, oh, because I started reading your book, and we've been wicked busy. I haven't really got that far in it, and I feel bad. Um, but it's like I'm, I'm like I'm going to hear the story firsthand from the man. You know, I'll, I'll read it and, and make up the parts that, or not make it up, but I'll fill in the parts that that you didn't get to. So. You survive. Do you go back to work? Is your career over? I went back to work in five months. Just nuts. I lied to myself. I'll be honest. I lied to my wife. I lied to my parents. I lied to my doctor. Yeah. I needed to get back on the horse again. Here I am, right? Young cop. I was only 41 years old. Mm-hmm. I have a whole life ahead of me. I have a mortgage. 
car payment, like all of us. Yeah, yeah. I have I have monthly obligations to be out, not doing details, not going to court. That's a lot, a big loss oh, yeah. for me. Absolutely. And here I am with a three-year-old boy, or three and a half now, and a newborn. Yep. All I could think, all I could think of was, how am I going to pay tuition for these kids and send them to college and give them a good life? Food on the table. Food on the table. Yeah. Pay my yep. mortgage. Yep. Whatever. Yeah. And. I forced myself to go back to work. And I went back to work. I ended up going back to the ATF on the street, doing what I was doing, taking guns, off, guns and drugs yep. off of a greater Boston streets and cities and towns. And I suffered a major heart attack eight months later. Jeez. And that yeah. put me out. And then if that wasn't bad enough, in 2015, I suffered a stroke that left me paralyzed, my whole left side. Yeah. And I spent the whole entire summer at Spalding Rehab Learning how to walk, how to talk, how to feed myself, how to take care of myself. It's one thing, now you got your age on your side, the youth, you know, you're not that old. Yeah, and I was point. in good shape. Yeah. I wasn't yeah. overweight. I had no other medical conditions. Yeah. So that played a big role in me being yeah. here today. Like, and I, I'm not a big fan of seeing people with like signs and everything, blessed, blessed, blessed. It's kind of overused, but do you 100% blessed? Like, they, you can't take that away from you. So you right now, um, you started a nonprofit. Right? Yes. And it's VIPO. And <coughs> tell us about VIPO. Tell us what it stands for. Tell us what you do, because this is amazing also. Yeah, so this is an organization that I founded based upon just God talking to me, to be honest with you. When I had to retire, my mayor, who wasn't very police friendly, didn't want to give me 100% special legislation, which exists in this state okay, yeah. and has for many, many years. And there's been officers before my time, before my incident, who had been shot or stabbed or run over, violently and critically injured. Their mayors gave, wrote special legislation and gave these officers 100% disability rather than the standard 72 accidental disability because that's what it's called. And, and for people who don't understand that, so when you get injured in the line of duty, um, like myself, you are, they retire you at 72% of your base pay, and then you're limited on how much money you can make. So when you have individuals who have young families, and you have a lot of young police officers and, and first responders that go out, they start families young, they get big houses, and they literally have to live detail and overtime like every week to support that. And then you take that away and you give them only 72% of their base pay uh, tax-free, which is, I mean, that's a, that's a help, right? Um, but then they're, now they're paying for health, insur health insurance and stuff like that. And it's really not that much. And so now take out what happened to you. And now you're only making that, which is the reason you went back to work, yep. is you needed to support your family. And then once again, here we are financially, you know, in distress, right? Exactly. So I, um, I made an appointment to see my mayor along with my chief of police and the union president, and I went to see him to plead one last time to have him support me in this special legislation, to which he wasn't agreeable, and he told me, I'm gonna retire you with 72% accidental disability. So I looked him right in the eye and I said to him, please explain to me how me being shot at the hands of a criminal is an accident, and why would you wanna retire me on accidental disability if I was assaulted? by a suspect. That's not right. Yeah, absolutely. That's not right. And on that basis alone, I ended up getting it, and I won. And you know, I'm grateful for the city, you know, looking back now uh, for what I got. And I, you know, one day I was at home, and I was in probably one of my worst 
stages of depression and worrying about how I was going to take care of my family, where my life was going. I lost my career. I was lost. I dropped 130 pounds soaking wet. I wasn't eating. I didn't interact with anybody. I wouldn't go to family functions. I missed Christmas one year. I would stay locked in my room. I didn't want to talk to anyone. You lost purpose. I just, I felt so isolated, like I was on the land of the misfit toys. I was broken. And one day, you know, God talked to me because I pray a lot to him on my own. I may not go to church physically all the time, but I pray, I talk to God every day. I pray to him. And I said, you know what? I'm going to use my, my horror show of an incident to make things better in this world. And I formed this organization, this nonprofit, Mm -hmm. and we, we filed legislation that now is sitting up at the state house for the fourth term, by the way. Yeah. And my goal, my vision is to help officers who are violently and critically injured in the line of duty get 100% of their pay, their base salary, get their raises, whatever raise their department gets, they're going to get. They'll have medical coverage that they'll pay for themselves, yeah. but the, the agency will keep them on the books, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And no income restrictions on their earnings, as long as they work in the private sector. And that is huge. Uh, and I understand, it's like, I can see if you are, so you can't go back to work for another municipality and start to contribute to a retirement, then I understand that. But when you, when you do that and you restrict people from going out and making a living, you know, you have people with law degrees. You know, you have people with lawyers. Uh, um, you have people that um, have, there's some nurses, I know nurses that have nursing degrees, nursing licenses who come become first responders. But now they can't even use that. They can't make that money. And that's, that, that's hard, and I understand. So VIPO stands for Violently Injured Police Officers. Right. right. Um, and, I, and I know that you go and you advocate for them. You go to hearings and you explain why these individuals, because how many people do you know of that actually have, that are getting the 100%, that fall into that special legislature? I personally, through my organization, have helped 22 officers in this state, two of which were for PTSD related. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. That's unbelievable. Yeah. And I know that there's other states that have this legislation. Where it's I, f- I filed right? and passed my bill in Kentucky and Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and it's filed in eight other different states to include Colorado, Arizona, Florida, New Jersey. It's just about to pass in New Hampshire mm-hmm. and Maine. Yeah. That's awesome. I, and and, we've and had, in Connecticut. Um, yeah. Sorry. We've, I mean, we've talked to... Um, other police officers who, uh, who said, you know, it, it takes Massachusetts a little while to catch on board. Um, and you know what? Sometimes it's better late than never, you know. Um, but we'll see what happens. Uh, we're just going to take a quick break, and uh, we'll be back. Uh, listen, the text line is open. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, uh, 978-454-4988. Oh, excuse me, 4980. So 978-454-4980. Uh, once you give us a call, or you can text in, and we'll see, uh, and we'll hear some more from uh, Mario. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Hidden Battles Radio. Uh, once again, we have Mario Oliveira, a retired detective, Somerville PD, uh, here with us telling us his amazing story. Um, Mario is actually going to be doing a book signing coming up. Uh, his book, Gunrunner, the Mario Oliveira story, is available. Chris, where can you get this book? Well, there's a whole bunch of different places. You can find it on uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. I believe I saw it on Target the other day. Yeah. Um, um, Mario, why don't you tell them where they can get it from you personally, where they can sign it, and you can actually, where they can come out and meet you. Yeah, so Fisher College, I've worked, um, I've worked with them 
extensively in the last couple of years. They've, they've been great to me. Um, they recently formed or created a Detective Mario Oliveira scholarship for those that enroll in a master's in criminal justice nice. at, their, at their college. So they've been gracious enough to um, have a book signing event February 2nd. It's at their alumni hall. It's at 10 a.m. I'm going to be doing a presentation there to all the CJ um, students in that college first, and then I'm going to go into the other room and sign all their books. And this is important for young police officers, and that's a, a lot of the stuff we focus on. We, we try to focus on the younger police officers. You know, we tell them uh, be mindful of their mental health. We tell them, you know, everybody stresses physical health, but mental health is a huge thing for us. Um, we have, Chris, who's listening to us right now? So we have uh, some up-and-coming police officers from the Quinsig Police Academy that are currently listening. So I've been getting a couple texts here and there, so I'm just going to give a shout-out to them. And uh, I know you guys have a snow day out there, but you're still plugging along, and you're almost there. Yeah. And um, so let's go back to the line-of-duty injury um, stuff that we were talking about earlier. So the 72%, we, we got that. So 72%, if you're injured in line-of-duty, that's slip and fall, car crashes. Uh, and this is what you would expect. Slip and fall, car crashes. Like my, my was a car crash, and it, it ruined uh, and ended my career for me. Um, it, the heart bill, stuff like that, right? But now there's a huge difference between that and you're being shot or stabbed in the line of duty, and you're getting the same. And I'm not downplaying, but you're getting the same retirement as me, who got into a car crash. I, I don't think that's fair. I, I think it should be totally different, and you agree with that. I do, right. and, and it's no way, shape, and form to, to demean or discredit anything that you've done in your, in your great I, career. Honestly, if we were sitting here together and you were getting the same as I would, I would feel horrible. I would be like, this is, that's not right at all. And I would feel, I would feel like, I, I should, I'm a big P. I should be back at work right now, you know? Yeah. But, so let's, let's talk about if you, if you had died, the difference between an awesome doctor in great circumstances and you being blessed and being where you are now, the difference between 72% and you surviving is, is huge. Like, to get the 100% the, the or the line of duty death. Yep. Right? So, let's put it this way. Had I died November 2nd, my, my wife would have received a one-time federal payment from the federal government, PSOB, Public Safety Officers Benefits Program, $422,035. That's tax-free. In addition to that, the state of Massachusetts would have given my ch- wife a check for 300000 tax-free. So she's getting over 700K tax-free right out out of the gate. Whatever rank that I held at the time of my death, and in this case would have been senior detective, Mm -hmm. she would have received 100% of my pay for the rest of her life. Every raise that my department gets and negotiates through contracts, my wife would have got too. Back pay, um, retroactive pay, uniform stipends, all that stuff. She would have got all of that. She would have also gotten real estate tax exemption. So as long as I lived in Massachusetts, which I did, in Billerica at yep. the time, and I, it's my primary residence, which it was, she wouldn't have to pay property taxes to the town of Billerica on my home. Yep. My two boys, if they want to go to college when they get older, they'd have a free ride to any state school in this state. Yep. If they wanted to be cops, a fireman, and they take a civil service exam, they would have went right to the top of the list under a wounded veteran. Yep. It's called a 402A status. And then the last one that most cops don't know is if you're a member of the NRA, National Rifle Association, and no, I don't represent them, mm-hmm. 
they have a $35,000 line of duty death payment for police officers. Yeah. So those are all the benefits that you get when you die. And my wife would have got had I not made it that night. Yeah. But because I survived, our laws here in Massachusetts call for me to get 72% accidental disability. Yeah. So essentially, I was being punished for surviving, financially speaking. And I could see why you're pushing for the legislation that you want to pass because it, that's, there's a huge difference between you went, what you went through and what I went through. Huge difference. There needs to be a different tier. Yeah, I, I agree. For the men and women yeah. who have suffered the, the trauma that I have suffered. Yeah, I agree. It's only fair. Yeah. You know? and, I, and I honestly, I think post-traumatic stress should be in another tier itself also. Absolutely, because those are all traumatic events. Yep, agreed. So I'm just going to uh, throw this out there. If there's any lawmakers that are currently listening to this uh, show and you want to hop on board with helping Mario, Scott, myself uh, draft up some legislation, uh, why don't you reach out to us, info at hiddenbattlesfoundation.org and, uh, or contact Mario at molivera at vipo911.org and uh, let's get the ball rolling on this. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, absolutely. And, we, and you can always reach out to us. I know that a lot of people usually send in questions after the fact. And our info at hiddenbattlesfoundation.org is always on. You guys can uh, send a question, you know, comments, concerns, and we can always get them to Mario also if you have any. And if you know how we are. If we don't know, we'll find out. So, uh, like I said, the text lines are open, 978-454-4980. And the phone lines are open if anybody wants to jump on, ask questions. So Mario, explain to us why the book is called Gunrunner. Um, my partner, uh, my co-partner and the author, Keith Notek, is a wonderful human being. He's a former commander out from San Jacinto, California. So he was a cop for 30-something years, involved in seven different shooting incidences, one of which he lost his partner in his arms. Wow. He got shot and heard his partner's last words. And... You know, Keith got messed up because of PTSD and unfortunately didn't get the help that he should have got and turned to the bottle instead. And he began to drink, had some mishaps, but then turned his life around. And he heard my story and just said, I can't pass this opportunity up. This is a once in a lifetime story yeah, that you absolutely. have. Yep. And he said, I want to help you write this. And he had, had just written a book that became a movie. And he and I partnered, and we wrote this. And then I, I came up with the name because the guy that shot me was running guns. Yeah. What better name than Gunrunner? Yep, absolutely. It's kind of yep. sexy, right? Yep. It, it, it's short. Like it. yeah. It's short. It's like one phrase, yep. easy to remember. Yeah, and, that's and it key. just kind of fit. Easy to remember. Yeah. So, and, and rumor has it that... This is being shopped around as, uh, to be also a movie, correct? Yes, yeah, so I just signed a, um, a deal with Ann Vegan Productions, who is currently trying to find funding to do a film on this. That's really, Are they going to do like an, an indie GoFundMe or something like that? Or? I'm not sure what she's planning on doing. I do know, I heard that Casey Affleck wow. maybe had some interest That'd be in really, playing me. It's better be than Danny cool. DeVito. True. I can tell well, you that. I was going to say, what about Wahlberg? Yeah. I, I don't know. If they're out there listening, come talk to me. Yeah. Arthur Wahlberg. Uh, uh, no, I, I think it would be awesome. I know that, uh, it, like I said, it, it's I, of what I've been reading so far, it's amazing. And, it, and just to hear your story, and I know after I read it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you and ask you questions. I'm going to constantly be asking you questions. But um, so your day-to-day. -day. So it, the wonderful thing is, is like I said, and a lot of people know that, listen, 
Hidden Battles saved me. You know, it gave me my task and purpose after. Because I when I got out of the Army, I went to law enforcement because I was looking for that camaraderie. I was looking for that community, right? And then when I got out, I was lucky that I had two years of, of, of waiting to find out what I was going back to, to where I was hopeful I was going back. And then it just wasn't in my cards. But I had started Hidden Battles already. So I transitioned into it. What, what is your now, your purpose, your task and purpose, which sent you into that spiral because you didn't know what you were going to do with yourself. What is your day-to-day -day now? So I, I have a new career, and I work for NESPIN, which stands for New England State Police Information Network. Uh, they are a law enforcement agency, but they're support services. Yeah. And what, what I do every day is I, I, I handle all of Eastern Mass. Mm -hmm. I go out to these different police agencies in our area, and I train cops nice. on investigative skills, I give them access to like the pawn shop database, mm -hmm. intelligence databases, where they can look for criminals and solve cases. Nice. And so I'm kind of like mentoring them and just showing them the ropes on how to navigate the systems and whatnot to be successful. And essentially, I feel like I'm back being a cop again without having to go out in the street and kicking down doors and getting myself shot. Yeah, you're setting up the next generation. And exactly. you're doing it right. Yep. You know, that, that's awesome. Because I'd rather learn, and I know a lot of police officers, especially we look at Look at our older officers, our seasoned officers, the superheroes when we first get on the job. You know, and then what you bring to the table with your investigation skills and your knowledge of how to do the job. And even to say, pawn shop lists are amazing and they are so good to find crimes and link crimes together. And, and half the time, you don't realize how things are, are a lot bigger than you thought they were. But for somebody to come in and explain and navigate through just strictly, even pawn, not even investigations and detective work, but pawn, just the, the pawns list and pawns, uh, the pawn um, registry, it's unbelievable. Yeah. You know, and, and to have somebody who's seasoned like you to come in and do it, absolutely. And it's, you're, you're paying it back to the next generation. Yeah. Right? And then aside from my full time job, I happen to be the president of New England Concerns of Police Survivors, COPS. Mm -hmm. So our organization is the organization that will go out and assist the agency when an officer is killed in the line of duty. So our folks, myself included, we help the chiefs fill out the necessary paperwork so the family gets taken care of with benefits. Awesome. Because what people don't realize is when the husband's gone, or the wife, mm -hmm. and they're dead, they've been killed in the line of duty, their mortgage payment is not going to stop. Oh, the bills keep coming. The bills keep coming. Yeah. And the poor wife and the three kids, they're sitting there saying, okay, I just lost my husband, another income, how am I gonna afford this house? Much like I was thinking. You know, I lost my husband, he was the main provider of our family, he made more money than me, that's the, in most cases, not all cases, yeah. but most. So these poor wives or spouses, they don't know what to do. Think about the distress that they're under that this is really what they want to deal with. They want to start dealing with uh, insurance information. It's bad enough they've lost a lo exactly. their loved one, their partner, exactly. yeah. and now yeah. they've got to stress over, am I going to lose my house now too? Yeah. Yeah, you know? yeah because what, we're a week, ahead, what, a week ahead of pay, so they get one more paycheck, right? Because it takes a little while to process paychecks, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so all right, I'm good for a week, but who, what's going to put food on the table? So that's amazing too. And uh, like, again, you just keep giving back, and that's, you know, we take this job to help people, right? And, yeah, and you're absolutely. continuing to do it, and uh, kudos to you for that. And I'm glad that, you know, we had Polly in here, and Polly, you and Polly become friends, very similar. Yeah, situation. I'm helping him up in New Hampshire yep. to try to get him what he justly deserves to. Yeah. And uh, Polly's been a friend of mine before even hitting battles, um, and still like, we had him on, and he a lot of the same struggles, but he does the same thing. He likes to, you know, get his message out there. He likes to share his 
his um, journey on mental well, uh, well-being. So, um, so is there anything else that helps you day to day other than you know, keeping you in the mix? Is there anything that you do for yourself? You know, is it living through, you know, vicariously through your children's sports or, you know? I, um, I try to be with my boys every day as much as I can. Mm-hmm. I try to, you know, show them how much I love them. Um, I wrote this book also to give them something that they can, they can, they can have as a, like a legacy, a memory. Absolutely. Of, and, and to teach them to always forge forward. No matter how, how bad things get, you never give up. You get up. You may get knocked down in life, but you get up and you give it 150% and you keep forging forward. Eventually, doors will open for you and you'll succeed. And the other important message I want to give your audience is this. It's an important one. My book is about hope, faith, and peace. Three things that all of us in this country need desperately right Absolutely. now. Yep. We need hope that things are going to get better. We need faith because not... A lot of people believe in God anymore, it seems, mm-hmm. right? We've got some of the media, some other institutions that don't allow people to bring God in, like even some schools, right, some colleges. It's, it's, it's uh, forbidden to talk about God or religion. So we need more faith in our lives, and we need peace, all of us to have peace. Absolutely. And here's my message to your audience. I don't want anybody to ever worry about your loved ones that you've lost, that have since gone. There is life after death. I'm a, I'm a witness of it. And I want people to know that their loved ones are in a better place and they're okay. And it goes to show you they're still with us. Right, they're still with us. So Absolutely. They're not gone. They're watching. They're there with you in spirit. And they'll guide you through your difficult days. Just believe in that and lean on them and hopefully things will get better in everybody's lives. And you're the second person I've heard that from. Um, Mike Day said the same thing. Yeah. Mike Day, uh, retired Navy SEAL, shot 27 times at once, laying there, um, ready to meet his maker, and he, he made a pledge to God. He said, if you save my life, if I can see my girls again, I'll never pick up a weapon in harm. And he lived, and he never did, and he said the same thing. He found God, um, not the most religious person, but he said he made a deal with him. He said he's got to come through with his deal. Uh, you know what? It's, it, everybody can have their own personal opinion, uh, and I think that if you do, are to dismiss it, you're crazy um, because you're living proof. Mike's living proof. Um, there's a higher being, and, and they're there for you. Um, and I, I think it's great. I think if, if you have something to believe in and something to keep you going and set a purpose and you know, to say, hey, you know what? One, if Mario can go through everything that he's gone through and make it, there's no reason I can't make it through my struggles, you know, my day-to-day struggles. Um, Polly, same thing. Um, you know, uh, just everybody that's gone through a really hard time. There's, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. There's always other um, people you can look up to. You know, your stories, it's already inspirational, and it, people should use your story and, and your life and everything you've accomplished and what you've been through to momentum to overcast their struggles that they have, no matter what they are, either they're worse or not. I mean, I I think that's huge, and I think a lot of people should start to think more positively than negatively. It's so easy to fall into the negative spiral, but I think the positive one is something a little more that you gotta put a little more investment in, but when they do, you know, and pick up your book, pick up Gunrunner, and and check it out, and like I said, meet, Meet you at Fisher College. When is that? That's uh, February 2nd. All right. Go out and meet and talk to him in person and, and hear the story and, and just meet you. I'm meeting you is 
much better than the book. No offense, but thank you. You know, as I say, you've come and done trainings at my department. I use Nespin on the regular, actually, and uh, you and I have kept in contact for many years since I graduated the academy, and here we are. Yeah, well. <laughs> And I'm always here for whatever yeah. you guys need. Yeah, me. yeah, absolutely. And, and, I, I, and like you said, you go, you still go to police departments and talk to police departments. You you tell them about how to do work. You tell them about your story. I mean, you're an inspiration, and and you're definitely, you know, inspiring guys to keep their heads up, to keep their heads on a swivel. You know, be diligent, uh, diligent. You know, and and stay true and and not give up. You know, keep in the fight. It's just, at, at, at your message is huge. It's it's more than words that I could put into. Obviously, I'm just bumbling over here but it's I it's like I'm in awe and, and I love being around you and you're just a great person thank you so thank you yeah so let's uh we'll be wrapping up soon but uh, once again uh check out Mario's book Gun Runner the Mario Oliveira story check out vipo911.org did I say that right yes Correct? you did um check them out and like I said you can google them uh pick up the book I mean it, it support them get the I'm telling you read the book you know, I'm reading it. I, if you know me, I'm not a reader, but I'm reading the book. And just get out there, support them. And you might learn something. It might inspire you. If not, get the book and give it to somebody you think that could be inspired by it. Because we all know that person. I'll tell you right now that any of the individuals that are in currently a police academy or about to graduate or thinking of going into law enforcement, this is a great book to definitely start reading and... Uh, learning about, check out Mario's organization, Vipo, reach out to Mario. Uh, he's very easy to get a hold of, if you will. Um, it might take a little bit to get back just because his hands are in so many cookie jars at this point with what he does. But uh, he'll answer any question you have, especially uh, if you're thinking about a career in law enforcement or currently in law enforcement. Uh, he'll talk to you. So other than uh, that, you doing any public speaking coming up? You doing any appearances? I just came back from um, St. Pete Beach, Florida, where I did. Uh, I was down there, and I'm going back down to Tampa area to do a large presentation. Uh, my next trip after that, or before that, is going to be Montana, and that's uh, February 27th through March 2nd. Oh, very nice. I'll be out in Bozeman, Montana, speaking to, um, it's like a, a drug conference. Yeah. So all, you know, narcotics investigators. So have you been into any of the academies and spoken to the cadets there? Here in Mass? Yeah. Yeah, so I, okay. I speak at every single academy in Plymouth. Nice. That's my alma mater. Yep. I speak in Reading. Well, now it's Linfield mm -hmm. um, at the headquarters up there, yep. the new facility, which is beautiful, by the way. So Linfield... Um, Wait, time out. It's in Linfield. It's got to be beautiful. It's nice. It's, uh -huh. it's literally right behind the... Uh, Linfield Marketplace yeah, in the old in the, Boston Sports Club. That's exactly and right. The, it's, Linfield. it's literally a country club. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I've been to West Boylston mm -hmm. Academy. Yep. Yep. Uh, what else? That's basically it. My goal, I, I would love to go to every single academy. And, you know, when I've been to the Mass State Police Academy as well. Yep. Um, I, think, I think it should be. Um, I'd spoken to Polly about that. I'm like, there's no reason that he shouldn't be up in the New Hampshire Police Academy. You know, I think they call it something like um, policy and standards or something, some crazy name. But they, they should have, you know, officers, former officers, retired officers um, come up and speak about this stuff because I don't know what the statistics are of uh, the officer ratio of being shot in the line of duty or being injured in the line of duty. 
uh, but it seems it's happening more and more, uh, where they should be prepared mentally for it. I mean, we've had finance people come on and talk about life insurance because eventually we're all going to need it. But there is that potential that one per what do they say? In every class, one person gets indicted, uh, like 40% gets divorced. Um, people get fired, incarcerated. Uh, but what's the, do you know what the percentage of uh, being shot in the line of duty is? I don't, not off the top of my head. But, I mean, but you just yeah. triggered um, an idea that I, not an idea, but a thought that I just mm -hmm. came up with. Uh, for your listeners who are police officers, I want you to go to work tomorrow or when your next shift is in and ask your chief if your department has a, a, a current line of duty death policy in place. Because I find a lot of chiefs that I talk to are not well prepared to handle a line of duty death or a critical incident. Would that be part of the accreditation, the federal accreditation? It's, it's actually, I wrote a policy that is the mass accreditation preferred policy for all law enforcement agencies. So if you're accredited, you must have my policy. Oh, that's awesome. That's yep. huge. Yep. Yep. There's is. not too many departments in Massachusetts that are, can say they're accredited. Yeah. Um, well, no, not accredited. So not accredited. Yeah, that's I what I meant. Say, there's too much money you, in you know accreditation if, now. If an you know what I meant. If an agency yeah. wants a copy of my policy, just go to my website, vipo911.org, under the resources tab, look down on the left side to line of duty death policy, and it's a Word document. Feel free to copy and paste it. Put your own badge and patch number on it. You got yourself a nice policy. Nice. At zero cost. At zero cost. Nice. Exactly. That's awesome. And it's very easy to find. Awesome. I literally you, just, you just found it now? I literally was already on Mario's website. I hit resources, exactly what he said. And it's the second thing under forms and documents. You're easy to find, my easy to find. Very easy to find. Okay, all right. Because we all know how I am. So, Mario, I want to thank you for coming in again. Um, what's vipo911.org. Uh, Mario's book, Gun Runner, the Mario Rivera story, you can get it. Uh, if you Google it, you could find it, but I would recommend that you just go out to Fisher College, meet him in person, um, shake his hand, get the book, and, um, and like I said, you'll meet a, a legend, a local law enforcement legend. I mean, there's a few of you. There's Chucky DeChar is a legend. You're a legend. Um, and if you're in law enforcement, you definitely got to meet you. Just your wisdom far exceeds you, you know? Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks to our sponsors. And we're just going to leave you with a song because we're going to get played out soon. So, Mario, any parting words? Um, just the last quick thing is I've, work, I've been working on a few initiatives. I now have um, five clinicians assigned to my organization that I can deploy with, with any peer support team because I know there's a shortage in them sometimes mm -hmm. on these call-outs. And my next initiative that I have now is I currently have, I think, three. I'm ha I have attorneys that are going to be assigned to my organization to assist officers who have been injured, who maybe need, need some legal advice oh, nice. or some guidance through the process. Mm -hmm. So they'll be able to have an attorney, someone who knows, who's who, who knowledgeable of the law that can assist these officers and guide them. And then of course I'll help them yeah. with the uh, retirement end of things. Oh, that's, and we can get yeah. these folks what they just, justly deserve. That's amazing. Cause the, the biggest thing is, is the not knowing. Correct. You know, where do I go from here? What do I do next? So no, that's amazing. And, and thank you for that. So everybody stay safe, stay healthy, and we will talk to you soon. Check us out, hiddenbattlesfoundation.org. Uh, and we should have a link up as soon as our site's redone. We'll have a link to Mario's page on there also. So thank you, everybody, and uh, thanks for tuning in to WCAP Hidden Battles Radio.